This is episode number 50, Finding Your Voice, with Erica Van Dyke. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before I introduce today's guest, I'd like to make a brief announcement and answer some of the questions that I've been asked regarding our upcoming conference in Grand Rapids on March 9th. This is an event where you will get to connect with hundreds of people who are going through a similar transformation that you are. An event where you will hear from speakers from all over the country, including Carissa Woodwick, Erica Curry Van E, Erica Van Dyke, Monica Sparks, and many others. As an attendee, you will get a chance to explore more of your story the possible ways to rediscover your voice if it has been lost, and a chance to connect with hundreds of people within that community. For more information, please go to overcomingodds.today forward slash be a voice, not an echo. Now, let's get back to our guest. For a long time, she didn't have a voice. She said, a lot of my story, at least right now, has to do with my identity, coming into that and finding the agency to claim that. When we think about finding our voices, I think that's something that everybody goes through. Was there a time in your life when you felt that you didn't have a voice? If so, how did you rediscover your voice? Without further ado, please welcome Erica Van Dyke. Welcome back to another episode of the Overcoming Ads podcast. Today's guest is someone who I had the pleasure of meeting through another connection of ours who's helping us put together an event in Grand Rapids called Be a Voice, Not an Echo, which is going to be a day-long seminar-style event where you'll get a chance to hear from about six to seven speakers. Uh, Each one has been adopted or was a former foster youth themselves. And each one will be talking on different aspects of what it means to find your voice if it has been lost, what it means to reclaim it, uh, what it means to use it to help others elevate theirs. And so the guests that we're going to be having on this show today, her name is Erica Van Dyke. Um, The theme that we'll be exploring is called Finding Your Voice. So without further ado, please welcome Erica Van Dyke. Erica, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to start off this episode by having you share a little bit about your past and your upbringing so those who are not familiar with your background can get a better understanding of where you were born and the type of um, upbringing that you've had and how you have used that experience to essentially do the work that you're doing right now? Yeah. So I was born in Bogota, Colombia. 
Um, and I was adopted um, by a family here in Michigan um, when I was about two months old, eight weeks old. Um, and my family that I grew up in here, um, or here in Michigan, um, was white. And so um, for me, that's a big part of kind of my adoption journey is what it means to be um, not only an international adoptee, but also a transracial adoptee. Um, I have three younger siblings who are biological siblings um, of my parents, and we grew up um, in a pretty small community. Um, my family was, my family remains, I suppose, a member, um, a part of the Netherlands Reformed um, Congregation, which is a super conservative um, branch of the Dutch Reformed Church. And so um, we went to church, you know, with the same people that we went to school with. Many of us worked with those same people. Um, and so growing up, everybody kind of knew my story. Um, everybody knew who I was um, and where I had come from. And it wasn't something that we talked a lot about, um, either in my family or um, in other places. And it wasn't until a lot later, looking back, that I saw some of um, the ways that being different has shaped kind of the person I've become. But when I was um, in high school and into college, I started doing a lot of community work, a lot of volunteering, um, and started to kind of pull away from that community that I had grown up in, um, particularly, you know, the religious affiliation. And um, when I did that, I started working on the southwest side of Grand Rapids, which is a predominantly Latino neighborhood um, with a lot of um, a lot of immigrants that have come that had originally come to Michigan as agricultural workers um, and kind of settled in a lot of them. Um, some of them still work in agriculture, some of them work in factories, some of them are professionals, um, all uh, just a really, really diverse group of people. Um, and through doing that work, um, I started to kind of face questions of who I was um, and, you know, how being Latina fit into the kind of community work that I wanted to do. Um, so today I work um, at a foundation, at the Grand Rapids Community Foundation, but um, that position is pretty new. Um, before this, I was working um, kind of like a school social worker um, with the Kent School Services Network as a family resource coordinator um, at a school, also with a large um, Latino population where um, I was responsible for helping families navigate um, resources to meet the needs that they might have and be experiencing. Um, and so kind of to get into that position, um, I had needed to speak Spanish. And um, my desire to do that kind of intersected also with my adoption in that um, I had the opportunity to go abroad and take some Spanish classes mm. uh, for about eight months um, a couple of years back. And one of the places that I went to learn was Colombia. And so that was the first time that I had been back. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. So that was a whole experience as well. You, sp you spoke a little bit about a time where it sounds like you didn't have a voice or you were trying to find your voice and get connected to some of your roots. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those early moments when it kind of made sense to you that you may not have had a voice when it came to a lot of the things that you were you had experienced in the past and and what did you do from there like how do you how do you step into that field of courage i guess to be able to take ownership of your story and then move forward from there yeah i think um 
for me, a lot of my story, at least right now, um, has to do with my identity and um, kind of coming into that and kind of finding the agency to claim that. And it's complicated, right? When when you grew up how I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we think about, you know, finding our voices, I think that's something that everybody goes through, right? Kind of a coming of age process. But as an, as an adoptee, of course, there's all these added layers of <laughs> Um, you know, what it, what it means to not see yourself physically represented really anywhere, um, mm-hmm. at, you know, at home, at school, in the neighborhood, anywhere. Um, it has to do with um, kind of diversity, not only, you know, physical, um, you know, racial representation, but also diversity of thought. It has to do with, um, of course, identity and how, how can you claim this identity um, that, you know, I look Latina. Um, I'm visibly not white, and so in West Michigan, um, that makes me stand out, especially in the places um, that I spent most of my time growing up. And so that was how other people perceived me, Um, but because um, my family just didn't um, necessarily have the resources um, or the access to the information they needed to kind of help me connect um, with that part of me, that was something that ultimately I had to go out and find for myself. Um, and so kind of living in that, um, that gray, right. That both and space, that complexity, um, Mm -hmm. and kind of getting out of that bubble that I had grown up in, you know, after, after I graduated from high school and find a community that felt like mine, um, was a huge part of me finding my voice and realizing that, um, I get to claim these parts of my identity that, you know, maybe I didn't connect with growing up, but have become a really important part of who I am. Um, how do you how do you deal with the the challenges that you might have experienced when you mentioned the fact that, you know, you're in a part of the state where you stood out everywhere you went? How do you, what are, what comes with that? I'm trying to understand as someone who may not experience the same uh, lifestyle that you do. And so like how, what, what are the challenges that you experienced when, you know, you noticed that you were different and then what did you do about it? I think, you know, for a long time, you know, being Latina meant nothing to me. It just, it was a part of me, but it wasn't anything that was acknowledged. And then, um, over time, it became something that was bad or hard or, um, you know, kind of something that separated me from the people that I loved and cared about. Um, and so for me, that meant um, I had a I had a position where I went out and worked in a lot of schools. And so my brother's eight years younger than me. And I went and visited his school to do a project um, for work. And, you know, we, he walked up to me and he gave me a hug and we were just, you know, talking and saying hi. And his teacher came up to me and, you know, it's like, how, how do you guys know each other? And he's like, oh, this is my sister, Erica. And she's like, no, that's not your sister. Mm. And I said, this is my brother. Um, and so things like that, you know, where it was something that separated, separated me from him in a place where, you know, this person couldn't couldn't understand that family doesn't always look one way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it means my nephew, um, my first nephew was born and I, you know, I was so excited. Um, and you know, I was showing his picture everywhere and someone looked at it and said, what? That can't be your nephew. He's too white to be your nephew. Um, so it was kind of things like that 
where it just meant that I didn't fit. Um, but the flip side to that, you know, is that when I started spending time um, in in the Latino community in Grand Rapids, I didn't have a lot of the cultural markers, um, the cultural understanding, the background that I needed, along with not having the language, to really be able to fit in there either, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think being an being an adoptee means meant that I had all kinds of really amazing opportunities. Um, you know, I had a lot of economic privilege. I had a lot of education. You know, I had access to social and cultural capital that you know some that other people didn't. Um, and so sometimes that that meant that um, people didn't want to accept the the Latina part of me, right? Other Latinos didn't, as though just because you know I grew up in a nice neighborhood or um, you know, I, I had these opportunities. It kind of balanced out this whole piece of me that I lost, right? I uh-huh. think there's that that loss is often missing. Um, and so it's taken me a really long time to be able to talk about that, right? And be able to push back and say, yeah, like, of course I had, um, of course I had those opportunities and I'm grateful for them. And... <laughs> mm. that doesn't that doesn't necessarily balance out you know the loss of of a family and a culture and a language um and kind of that that lack of choice right mm-hmm. <laughs> that I had, had nothing to say about that and we know that there's a lot of space um in our narratives for these these stories of happy grateful you know adopted brown kids um but not so much space um and acceptance for us when we grow up and really push back against what happened to us and that can be really isolating from both sides oh yeah and it's a very interesting topic to explore because i think one of the challenges is it's at least what i've learned is that it's one thing to be able to accept but i i think to a degree there are certain parts that you're not able to accept 100 percent and so just because I think you gained closure with something or gave something forgiveness, there's still a tiny percentage that is carries on from one to another. And so in your case, when you mentioned the fact that it's, it's one thing to be able to say, well, I'm living here now and th- these are the things I do know, it's a whole other thing to be able to accept it on a level that, yes, you did lose your language, yes, you did lose your culture, and, and it's like how do you how do you get yourself in touch with that again if that's something that you want to do you know do you have to start taking language classes again do you um start a conversation with your birth uh family members if you have a contact with them which is another big challenge for a lot of the people is that they don't have access to those records right and so like where it's almost like where do you where do i start and life is already complex enough where you, you don't know where to start with some of the things. And then all of a sudden, here's an additional layer for you to go through. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How do you, throughout this whole journey of yours, I'm curious to know how you've dealt with criticism and not be discouraged by other people when they were telling you to not say certain things or not, to not be who you wanted to be. You know, it's it's um, especially I think in today's day and age where so much of information is available through social media, and it's very easy to say certain things behind a screen because mm-hmm. you know it's just 
I think it's obvious to us that if I were to say something behind a screen that you can't come out there and, and attack me or uh, face the problem in person because I could be halfway across the world. And so in your case, when you found the courage to share your story and live the narrative that you wanted to tell, how did you deal with the negative criticism and feedback that you might have received from other people? And did that change your community when you started to do that? Yeah, yeah, I think it it absolutely did. I think I've been incredibly lucky um, to have a really strong um, community around me who's willing to kind of go through this process with me and willing to have these conversations with me about um, just find, find, finding this voice, right? That's that's our whole theme, right? Mm-hmm. And who who I want to be and what I get to claim, right? And I think for me, a really big part of that um, was was when I got to go back to Colombia. Um, so while I was there, I had the opportunity um, to go back to the organization that um, I had been adopted through, the agency that facilitated my adoption, mm-hmm. and um, speak to a social worker. And so she she sat me down, you know, and she said, this is the information we have. And she had literally one piece of paper. Um, and it was basically just an intake form. Um, but one of the things, you know, that she, that the social worker was able to tell me um, was that um, my first mother, she had been born in this part of Colombia, right in the middle, um, in the Capatera, which is where the coffee's grown there um, in the mountains, and that she had lost her mother when she was young as well. But somehow she managed to get all the way through 10th grade, which the social worker said was like a pretty big deal um, for, you know, for a girl in that place at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, she moved to Bogota and I don't I don't really know what happened after that. Um, but just that little piece of information, just that one little detail really was able to help me think about being Latina in a different way. Um, and it just was able to remind me that, you know, this stubborn determination that I often display um in my work and in my life you know that's in my blood right Mm -hmm. um part of who you are yeah it's part of who i am and that you know the fact that she made her way to this agency um to make sure that i ended up somewhere safe when she decided that she couldn't keep me um which i found out also was likely because she had a two-year-old son already when she gave birth to me and um and so it was likely you know that she just couldn't provide for both of us and that reminded me too, you know, that there's this strength and this resourcefulness um, that's part of who I am as well. And so getting to claim that piece of myself um, was really powerful um, for me kind of coming to terms. And I think it was a way for me to think about the work that I do in the community as well. Um, because for me, it's a lot it's a lot easier to use my voice um, on behalf of others, right? To be brave mm-hmm. for others and to push um, for equity and to push for you know access to resources um, and to demand better for a lot of the kids and families that I've that I've worked with. Um, and it's it was harder for me to do that for myself, right? And to claim that for myself. And so having that piece was really important. And I think also just being lucky enough to have found friends kind of as I was starting to say, having found friends that really embraced me for who I was and said, yeah, like, there's no such thing as being Latina enough. If you're Latina, you're Latina enough. Um, and that's that's part of who you are. That's how you show up in the world. 
Um, and that's, that's a powerful piece of the work that you do and the advocacy that you're able to do and the connection, you know, that I'm able to make with kids and families, um, because we know, you know, that representation matters. Um, and so when I think about those bigger picture things, you know, this history, um, of resistance and the commitment that I have, um, to building the kind of world that I want to see, um, there's a lot of strength in that too, knowing that I'm not alone, um, in, in that work that I choose to do. Mm-hmm. Final thought for today's episode. And that is when the odds are completely against you, what are some core fundamental principles that you always refer to? I think <laughs> I don't, um, I don't identify as religious anymore, but there was this, um, kind of value that was really instilled um, in me by my family, this idea that, you know, to whom much is given, much will be required. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that I've had these opportunities. And so I just have this incredible sense of responsibility to make sure that um, those opportunities that I was given, um, they're not wasted. They weren't mm-hmm. wasted on me. Um, and that every step, you know, that I'm able to move forward is because of this, these, these amazing people that I have in my community that advocate for me and that teach me and that fight alongside me. Right. Um, for, for a better Grand Rapids, for a more equitable Grand Rapids, for a Grand Rapids that's inclusive of everyone that lives here. Um, and that, that really is a place where everyone can be successful, um, no matter, you know, where they grew up. And so I think, um, that sense of responsibility and that strength that I get from being a part of a much bigger vision conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Like a much bigger movement. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's what, that's what matters to me. And I think when I look at my nephews, right, who are so blonde haired and so blue eyed and so beautiful. <laughs> um, but I think about the responsibility I have to them too, right. To make sure that, they don't grow up in this tiny bubble in the way that I did um, and expose them to other, to other opportunities and other ways of thinking and people that don't look like them mm-hmm. um, and that maybe don't share the same experiences as they do. Because I think, um, you know, that's, that's how we create change in our communities is, is by those relationships and by um, getting to know each other and making sure that, um, that we're looking out for each other, that we show up for each other. That's mm-hmm. really important to me it's amazing erica how do how do people find you how do people stay in touch with your work and what are some of the things that you have coming up that people should be aware of um well i blog very occasionally um <laughs> about kind of some identity stuff some social justice stuff um and kind of my journey through all of this um and that's at erica carolina.wordpress.com and that's e-r-i-k-a and then carolina is spelled like carolina um, C-A-R-O-L-I-N-A dot wordpress.com. Um, and I'll be speaking at that conference coming up in a couple weeks. Um, and I'm looking forward to that as well. And I'm available via email, um, at erica.vandyke, V-A-N-D-Y-K-E, um, at gmail.com as well.
Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you can receive all of our latest episodes, featured stand up and speak up stories, and ways you can be involved with overcoming odds. Once again, thank you for listening, and we look forward to having you next week.